I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen. And I'm Yvette. And this week we're talking all about social anxiety. Before we get on to that... Let's have a listen to last week. I didn't know it, but I had anxiety when I was a child. Like eight years old, I can now vividly remember my first um, moment of anxiety. Uh, in my teenage years, I had panic attacks. But it, it didn't really limit my life in any way. Mm. It wasn't until my um, late 40s and 50s that I got it full-blown along with depression. got depression first, actually, and then the anxiety kicked in as the depression was lifting, which was a little bit perverse. You think, you know, depression was bad enough, and then to sort of get the anxiety, and then I sort of had both of them for a while as well. So now we're back to chatting with Claire Eastham about social anxiety. She also runs a blog, We're All Mad Here, and has a book out. So thanks so much for coming on Mentally Yours to chat to us. Thank you for having me. So you cover a fair amount on your blog, We're All Mad Here, in particular social anxiety. When did you start experiencing anxiety and panic attacks? First of all, I love the way you say anxiety. That's such an off-self device, like anxiety. And I'm like, anxiety, sorry. (laughs) When did I start experiencing it? Um, Honestly, I think I was probably born with it. I was a quite nervous, overly sensitive child, as they, they say, and... At secondary school in particular, it started coming out more because you're expected to behave in a way that's deemed normal rather than what feels natural to you, such as stand up and share your work with the class or, you know, tell us all what you did or go around the room. And that just wasn't my personality. And Mm. 
I started getting physical symptoms like blushing and the shakes and I'd like not be able to speak. And it kind of developed slowly from there, really. Would you class yourself as an introvert? Yes. Yes, I would, absolutely. So that was the conflict at school? Potentially, yeah. I think the educational system in general is more geared toward extroverts. I know the theory behind it is to kind of bring you out of your shell. But for me, it was a little bit too aggressive. Yes. What were the worst kind of situations at school? Because, I mean, obviously there's all kinds of things, aren't there? Like sort of sleepovers or school discos, all that kind of thing. And I can imagine, I mean, I think everybody finds them a little bit sort of exciting slash anxiety. Or even just like share a fact about yourself with the class, like going around in circles. That still gets me now. Everyone hates that. I haven't met a single person who actually enjoys that experience. Go around the room and tell somebody, you know, fun facts. And I'm just like, oh my God, I can't even remember my name. There's nothing (laughs) fun about me. I'm very boring. (laughs) Was there any sort of particular events like that at Mm. school that kind of stand out as being particularly difficult? Um, Sleepovers were a problem, but only if something happened that I wasn't prepared for, such as, let's play a round of truth or dare. If we were watching a film or painting our nails or doing, like, standard whatever, it was fine. But if somebody wanted to kind of delve into my personality a bit more, I thought, oh, God, they're going to realise I'm not normal. So that's just when I would kind of pretend I wasn't feeling well to go home early. or that. I did lock myself in the bathroom once. That didn't work. You can only do that for, like, five, ten minutes. <laughs> and how about um, panic attacks? Well, I had my first panic attack uh, when I was 12, I'd have been about 25. And it's because I've been suppressing my anxiety all my life. It finally came out in a very physical, aggressive way. I actually went in for an interview, which I didn't get for obvious reasons in a minute. And uh, it felt like this wave came over me and I couldn't breathe. My heart was going. I knew something was very, very, very wrong. And for some bizarre reason, because I have social anxiety, I didn't think I was dying. I thought I was going crazy. And I couldn't bear the idea of embarrassing myself in front of the interviewers. So I stood up and in a very kind of uh, posh voice said, "Uh, excuse me, I have the neurovirus and I must leave at once. I managed to do that during a panic attack and then bolted out of the room and then all the way down the strand because I thought I was going mad. And I thought if I just keep running, it'll stop. That's a good lie to make up, norovirus. I mean, seriously. That's pretty good. Quick thinking. I was like, I was impressed, even though I was devastated. I was like, that was pretty good. And the voice. (laughs) I do think that. Yeah, I like the voice. That's good. Yeah. I do think anyone with social anxiety is quite skilled at getting out of those kind of situations. Like, we're very good at sneaking out of places or just being like, oh, I'm just popping out to do this. Do you find yourself kind of making escape plans for situations? Not so much anymore, because I'm at a stage now where I can maintain my anxiety. But in the past, definitely, you know, I'd pretend to suddenly get an emergency text or uh, I wasn't feeling well or just disappear. And I hope nobody would notice because they're all plastered. What was the worst part about it? From maybe the point of, I don't know, I've asked you to a party. From that point, would you then be anxious about it? Or would it be sort of the day before? Or would it be sort of the hours leading up to it? Or did it vary? In the past, I mean, now it still gets me if it's a huge event. You were saying that your anxiety comes from kind of talking about yourself. Is that a common thing? Is it specifically getting personal or is it just all interaction with other people? Yeah, talking about myself or talking about um, 
what I've been through does actually raise my anxiety levels because you're making yourself more vulnerable. Yeah. It's, um, it's a strange one. And when I first went into therapy, she pointed it out, like, you, you like to make people laugh, don't you? And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, you, you turn into like a performing monkey. And I'm like, I do. I try and divert the attention away from me. And if I can make you laugh, then you'll stop asking me about it. So sorry if I go into some kind of Peter K yes. like routine. <laughs> that is like, fun. <laughs> Very used to it. I think I'm similar Probably. in either making people laugh or like just saying weird stuff or just distracting them on other things. It's like if you talk about this thing, yeah. you have to talk about all the weird stuff in my mind. Yeah. So but it's great fun. that you can come on now and yes. talk about it because we yeah. have thinking about it now. What you said is kind of used to be your worst nightmare. Talking about yourself is mm. literally what we've asked you to do come on the show and just talk about yourself <laughs> <laughs> well and anxiety in general well it's been a it's been a long road for me but a really positive one because another thing I use and still use is called exposure therapy mm-hmm. don't know you know whereby you expose yourself to something that makes you uncomfortable tiny tiny little bits at a time mm-hmm. feel you know how it feels think okay you did that that's fantastic nothing bad happened you just felt uncomfortable let's move on to the next one so doing things like this is still kind of part of exposure to me proving that it can't hurt me was that recommended by a therapist for you do you know it wasn't it was um i randomly because i kept having panic attacks and i was like i'm not doing so i'm clearly not doing something right so i typed into google what not to do when having a panic attack and i found this dude in chicago of all places uh dr david carbonell who wrote um he has a website about uh, panic disorder and he writes a lot about exposure therapy and how to deal with it. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it seems to be the one that stuck the most. So where did you start with the exposure therapy and what like level did you go up to? For me, the biggest problem at work was being in meeting rooms originally. So what you do is you make a list and it's like a, a massive list as well. So it's like sit in your living room, close your eyes and imagine you're in a meeting room. Experience that. And then the next step up is uh, do it in a meeting room at work when everyone's gone home. Do it in a meeting room when everyone's gone home, shut the door. I could literally go on forever because it takes about 50 different steps until eventually you're at the point where you can do it. So it, is, it takes a lot of patience and determination, but once you see the results, you feel so empowered. Has all of your treatment been kind of self-taught or have you been to a therapist or had CBT? 50-50. Uh, that's why I, I write about it, because every time I learn something new, I get it on the blog. Because yeah. therapists are great. Like, um, my CBT therapist was really good at teaching me how to identify, um, well, that's a thinking error. That's not real. If you went before a judge and told them that, you can't prove it. Everybody thinks I'm an idiot. Do you have any proof of this? No. It's like So that was really, really helpful. But... The rest of it was kind of um, adapting it to what suits me, such as things like exercise, uh, what certain things that I eat, um, things that I do, and it's definitely a work in process. When you mentioned sort of diet and exercise, are there any particular sort of key things that you found specifically quite helpful? It's so irritating, right? Because I am such a lazy cow, and I really wish that exercise didn't work, but it does because it just regulates the kind of cortisol and adrenaline in your body. So I do all kinds of stuff. Like I, I'm not like a runner. I'm more of like, I like to go on long walks with my dog. I like to do a bit of yoga. 
I really like the cross trainer. I'm so into that at the moment with like the Rocky Balboa theme tune thing in my oh, love it. Um, star jumps. If I'm having a panic attack at home and I can't get out, I'll just start doing some star jumps. Can you do star jumps mid panic attack? Yeah. That's genuinely incredible. I'm amazed. Does it paralyze you? Yeah, you honestly. Uh, and I think yeah. a lot of people, some people are really active during them. And I know other people are literally like, they have to crouch in a ball, like they cannot move. So I'm impressed with anyone that could do star jumps. Interesting fact, um, go against your instincts there. Yeah. Because he wants you to believe that you can't, but you can. I'm going to try star jumps next time. Do star time. jumps. Genuinely. Send me a video. <laughs> <laughs> See how it feels, because I'm really curious now. And I'm going to watch you do star jumps. Yeah, go for great. it. Just I'll do it. Bring anywhere. out the panic attack and into the office. Star jumps there done easy yeah. my husband doesn't ask any questions anymore if, if he comes into the living room before i've got an event and i'm like doing star jumps he's just like see you in a bit yeah like <laughs> other than kind of seeing you do random star jumps um <laughs> how's your um social anxiety or just panic attacks and everything um affected your relationship yeah definitely when it specifically look specifically when i was younger because people would presume i was rude you know a bit of a moody bitch she, don't socialize cancelling plans that kind of thing um i think not so much with my relationship with my now husband because i was very lucky that he was very understanding and i knew i'm gonna have to tell him because at some point it's just gonna come out so he's been really understanding but friendships yeah it can be difficult and um employers it can be difficult because it's not really recognized properly yet in the workplace Mm. but I'm hopeful that that will change mm. the thing with, with friends is it am I right in thinking is it kind of I don't know someone might have plan, planned a big event and you thought that you were okay to deal with it but then you might have got a bit run down from work or something and then the day before you just can't go is that that sort of thing that happens or what actually goes through your mind when you sort of have to it used to I'm trying to think of the last time that happened because it has been a while. I did used to do that quite a bit, think I was going to do it, and then the last minute pull out, and they'd be really, really annoyed, quite rightfully, because I'd come up with some lame excuse about, oh, I'm tired, I, you know, I've worked really hard kind of thing. But um, it's a hard one for me to answer because I haven't done that in quite a long time. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good thing. Because I always figure, go for five minutes. Just go five minutes, see how you feel. If you still feel as bad in five minutes and you can leave but if you feel even five percent better then you have to stay that's the rule so i have weight tattooed on my wrist that reminds me because i think when you're having a panic attack or an anxiety attack your instinct is to bolt when it's it's the worst thing you can do in my opinion when did you have that done the tattoo about when my book came out actually so uh like 10 months ago yeah i thought i'm gonna do it just and it's on my left because it's the one you look at the most when typing this it actually really comes in, hungry, in handy if you're going to send like an angry email or something just it's an like actual reminder 10 minutes 10 minutes for an email <laughs> general wait is good advice for everything yeah like whatever you're going to do just, just wait. wait five minutes and see yeah you mentioned some tips and tricks if you could give three tips and tricks to anyone suffering from social anxiety what would they be tip number one is distraction because if you have social anxiety or anxiety in general, you're going to focus on the one thought over and over and over again. So if you can give your brain a little bit of respite, maybe um, distraction is in, I play like 
the word, like the name game. Like try and think of every girl's name beginning with A that you can do and then go on to B and then go on to C. And it will give your brain a little bit of a rest. Second one. Well, I mean, this one sounds really lame and to the point, but tell, be honest about it. Mm. You, I don't mean stand up in front of a room and say, oh, you know, I have social anxiety, but if you can tell one person who you trust and you think will support you, like, I have this thing, explain what it is, and sometimes, and tell them what it is that you might need. Like, you might need a little bit of patience, you might need a bit of support, or you might just need them to make you laugh. It's a good distraction one as well. And the third one would be definitely exposure therapy I really really I mean like we spoke about that but that's something I think you should invest in because if you have social anxiety what happens is you start losing territory to it yeah it takes little bits from you each time until you can't go to half the places you used to be able to go so exposure therapy is a good way to take it back but on your terms not in some horrendous aggressive you know if you're frightened of airplanes jump out one kind of thing you know you also mentioned a breakdown yeah are you all right to talk about that and what happened? Yeah, I mean, it started with the running out of the office. So how much do you want to know? Like, <laughs> Tell us everything. Everything. How okay. long did it go on for? So I ran, I, well, I might as well have ran home for how far I ran. Um, got back into the house. Still didn't know it was a panic attack. Thought I was going crazy. Like, oh my God, oh my God. I remember thinking, you've done it this time. You've really done it this time. You're going to end up in, I start thinking of things like the white van, the padded rooms, like all kinds of stuff that you would see in films. And then my then boyfriend got home and I was crying hysterically by this point. I couldn't think straight. I was rolling about on the floor. Do you know, I actually don't remember a lot of it. He does, which is devastating for me because I know, I remember the look on his face and he was like trying to calm me down. We rang NHS Direct, who, not to go there, were rubbish. Mm-hmm. They were absolutely terrible. It was like, well, what, what do you normally do in this situation? I'm like, I don't, I don't normally, what? Was like, <laughs> I was terrified. Mm. So in the end, it was like, they, kept, they told me they wouldn't send an ambulance. There was nothing they could do. I was like, right, okay. All we had in was some champagne, which sounds glamorous from leftover from Christmas but it was warm because it hadn't been in the fridge so I drank an entire bottle of champagne in under like five minutes and it knocked me out when I laugh about it now because it's a funny story but I'm like isn't that sad that the NHS wouldn't help me yeah, so I'm pretty awful. shocked that the NHS didn't give you any help I mean that's maybe that's what it was like kind of how many years ago now 2013 maybe it's much better now but I hope mm, so they were I mean my doctor was a different story but mm. it was kind of like I kept asking if I could ring 999 because I'm like even in that state I was like I don't want to inconvenience anyone even though I might be going mental it was um, but they were like no absolutely not this, it made me feel like there was nothing wrong with me what did you do the next morning were you feeling a lot better or no god no um, I felt like I'd run a marathon mm. I got the first train back to Bolton went to see my GP the one I'd had all my life and she diagnosed me in under two minutes and I burst into tears because I was so sure she was going to tell me it was something awful. And she was like, it's textbook social anxiety. How long have you had this? And I was like, forever. And it, that was the start of my recovery, really. Just admitting to someone, like, this is what's going on in my head. And the recovery started from there. So after your breakdown, um, you went back up north. And do you think the process of going back up to the north and going back home played a key part in recovery or do you think that could have happened down south in London 
no, I think it's true. I went home to like my nest, my safety net, literally, because it's where my family is, because I needed to be around people who'd known me my entire life and knew about, I think they all knew that something wasn't quite right, but they kind of just left me to it. And then when I came back to a place where like the tube, for example, I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to deal with the busy streets while I recover. I don't have to deal with uh, the stress of work or this, that and the other. I could, because I'd spent, it will have been, yeah, 25 years not taking care of myself. It was great to be in a place where I could take care of myself, get stronger and then go back because I didn't want to lose everything. I worked really hard because I used to work in publishing, book publishing. I'm like, I don't want to lose everything to this thing. And I want to kind of get stronger and finally deal with it so I can come back and still do what I do and not fall to pieces again in a year. Do you think it's fair to say that London and sort of big cities in general are just inherently more stressful and harder on mental health and sort of lonelier places? Yes. I think there's a culture in big cities of um, kind of being super strong, super confident, particularly in big businesses. I mean, if you look at stuff like uh, House of Cards, for example, you know, that's the kind of image we're projecting women to be, like, tough. When actually, it's not healthy and it's not true. I'm doing a talk on Stylist Live this year on the... Oh, I'm going to that. Are you? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Sake. I'm really excited. On the power of vulnerability because it's like vulnerability is as much being humorous as, as a strength. And I think in places like London, it's definitely more kind of who can be the strongest in like the meeting, who can speak the loudest, who can do this rather than who's got the best questions or how are we all feeling or is this actually doable? Are there other different challenges though about um, having a mental health issue up north? For example, I mean, people might be a bit friendlier. Um, that's the, sort of the stereotype, but doesn't necessarily mean that people are more open about mental health issues. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's The environment is much more chilled and I, I, I am never going to diss my hometown because I adore it. <laughs> um, but they don't... It's weird because everybody around me knew, but they didn't necessarily comment on it. It's just like, how is that thing? It's like, it's a lack, I think it's just more of a lack of education. They'll get there eventually, but it's, it's much more kind of, how are you feeling? Like taking the time, and how are you in yourself? That's one of my favorite things. It's, I don't know, we'll get there. Maybe there's a bit of a disconnect, but. Do you feel though that when they ask that, they do want to genuinely know? And yeah. Then you would, if you opened up and told them all about your anxiety, they'd be open to that. I really do. I mean, they're not like, all right, you know, not five hours, but they do mean it. Like people, from what I've experienced, will stop for five minutes and say, "How are you doing? How's this? How's that?" I, in hairdressers, I notice it the most. I think I think that's everywhere. But it's amazing. I can sit and listen to conversations for hours in hairdressers of people just talking, talking, talking about everything from about, oh, I'm worried about this, this has happened with my husband, this, that and the other, which I find incredible. Well, we are really very angry about this shit. Yes, we are really very angry about this shit. Something that has pissed me off massively today is an article. I'm not going to say the publication because... Don't. They don't deserve it. No, but also because I actually love them. Like, they're a great publication. I don't necessarily think, you know, they're evil, terrible people for publishing this. Mm -hmm. I think it's symptomatic of what a lot of people think about mental health issues. So basically, this article was saying 
how to spot personality disorders in the people you work with what and how to deal with them so for example it was saying if they do this this and this they're a psychopath what so this is how you deal with it also if they do this this and this they're they have borderline personality disorder oh my god which we've discussed before and they were saying if um someone you work with has bpd uh you know bad luck for you they're going to do all of these terrible things they're going to be difficult to work with um they're going to have terrible conflict resolution all this awful stuff um and basically just tips on how to deal with this terrible person that you'll be working with uh shockingly it was written by a doctor a professional oh, in the field oh fuck, which oh is my God. You know, bleak that that's what people think um and the entire article was very much it kept referring to people with personality disorders as them and they as if you know totally separate beings um it's just wow. awful and i think you know obviously i'm going to get annoyed about this and anyone with mental health issues or knowledge about mental health is going to get annoyed about it but the frustrating thing is that i actually sent it around to a few people and a lot of them were like oh i didn't realize like is this bad like they didn't think it was a bad thing at all and when i point out to them like borderline personality disorder does not mean that you're going to be a terrible person to work with mm. they all said oh well i thought it was like split personality oh my god and it's like no it just means that you're going to be more sensitive to things like it's really not we shouldn't be demonizing people with any mental health issues and saying they're going to be impossible to work with and being advising people on how to deal with them instead of saying okay how can we make workplaces better for these people we're not issues to be dealt with we're not like insufferable colleagues if you have a mental health issue so it just absolutely filled me with rage i think everyone on twitter has been equally filled with rage good thankfully but um sounds appalling yeah it's just stereotypes it's frustrating because it's obviously going to offend a lot of people and upset a lot of people but for people who don't know about bpd it is spreading complete misinformation because i am talking to people who don't know what bpd is they've read this and they're like oh yeah it's like this or it's split personality or you know you are telling people if someone tells you they have bpd that means they're difficult to work with and that this is all the stuff that they'll do which is awful because number one none of it's true and number two like why are we treating it as you know ways to catch people out and then ways to deal with them like it's uh, i just it's really miserable it's like you wouldn't do that for other illnesses you'd be like how to spot if someone in your office has a disability and how to deal with it because it's such an inconvenience to you. Yeah. It's like I think it's more an impact on the person actually suffering. Maybe instead of talking about how your work is going to be impacted by someone else's disorder, we can talk about how to help them with stuff and how to make things easier for them. So, yeah, really frustrated that that got published, that that got approved. Um and that it's written by a fucking doctor. And that it's written by a doctor because if there are doctors who think like that, that's awful and i don't suffer from bpd um so i don't have experience in that but imagine if you went to a doctor and you expressed those things that you were feeling and they either completely misdiagnose you because they have no idea what bpd is or they come out with a bunch of stigma a bunch of reductive stereotypes and other ridiculous things like that it's embarrassing that we have doctors in this country and anywhere 
that don't have a basic understanding of mental health issues. That's absolutely absurd to me. And that we're giving them a platform to write about it for a national publication. Stupid crap, my brain has told me a boy and Oh, stupid, 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 stupid. Okay, so stupid crap that my brain has told me. Things have been on a pretty even keel again, which is lovely. So I thought I'd, um, I'd take you on a mystery tour of weird things that my brain's told me when I've been manic again. Well, that's which, exciting. Which is, I know, Let's something you always that. enjoy. I made a little list of random things. I don't know how far we'll get, but... Um, if they're as good as the M&M thing, I'm invested already. I don't know if they're as funny as the M&M thing, but they are as random as the M&M thing. So, yeah, getting on a train and ending up in Taunton. Taunton. Did I tell you about that? I think, yes, that sounds vaguely familiar, because I was like, yeah. that's kind of a cool adventure. But yeah, also scary. and I ended up at a police station instead of the train station. That was really random. Thinking there were eight days in a week? Explain. <laughs> I thought there was an extra day. Did it have a name? No, I don't think so. When was it? Like, was it midweek? It was or after Sunday before Monday. After Sunday Monday. before Monday? Yeah. How long did you think that for? Well, when I was, when I was manic, and I remember trying to convince my dad yeah. that there was this extra day, which, you know, people should know about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because everyone's like, oh, I wish there were another day between Sunday well, and Well, exactly. It would be great if there wasn't, a, if, like, if we all had a three-day weekend. That would be fantastic. I disagree, personally. Really? But, yeah, because I find that um, I do lots of fun things on Saturday and then I relax on Sunday. And any time when I used to have, like, half-term or long weekends, I find myself getting bored and doing stupid stuff on the third day. I think oh. two days is perfect, but I'm um, a massive work nerd also, so... I'm probably not the norm. I suppose maybe three days all the time might be a bit too much. But mm. actually, no, who am I kidding? Three, day, three days would be great. <laughs> if it's an eight-day week, <laughs> yes. If it's yeah. still a seven-day week, then no. But I'm, I love working, so I'm not normal. Any other fun manic thoughts? Uh, thinking the radio was talking to me directly. Was it? Slash could hear me. Well, I mean, I don't know. I assume not. You know, it's he, like with the M&M thing. It's, it's kind of weird because 99%, I said it's weird, really sort of weird to sort of talk about this as well, but mm. 99% of me is obviously thinking that's rubbish yeah. and it wasn't true. But then there was this element of me that, because I was so sort of convinced by it. Mm. So it's possible. Part of me sort of almost thinks because that was my reality then, it's almost like it was true. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to let go of that. I think it's like conspiracy theorists. Like people, they really, really believe that. And I know they do, but that's the thing. Like I think that's all a load of bollocks. That's the worst them. thing. <laughs> so and also, like, like realistically, and I'm not trying to say that any of your manic thoughts were true because they were. You know, don't descend into that. But for every conspiracy theory, there's going to be one that might be true. Oh God, you know. So really, there there is a race of lizard people. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. And also Mary-Kate and Ashley are the same person. There's just a mirror the whole time. Oh, are they? Yes. Oh, okay. That's my favourite fake conspiracy to thread because it's so um, ridiculous. Good to know. So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Mentally, 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 Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. Mentally 
if you've struggled with any of the issues we've discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. If you've enjoyed listening to us, you could also join us on our new Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. You can also give us a review on iTunes, which would be hugely appreciated. And, you know, while you're there, just listen back to our old episodes, which are all great. Also, thank you very, very much to Sam Bonham, our producer, and to Lucy Baker for her lovely jingles. See you next week. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.